Trust Women Wichita is a clinic in Kansas that has long been a lightning rod in the abortion wars. Its former director, George Tiller, was assassinated in 2009 by an anti-abortion extremist, and it closed for years because of that. Since it reopened in 2013, the clinic slowly became known as a place for people from across the Midwest and South who want to end their pregnancies, but must travel hundreds of miles to this fenced-off facility to do so. Now, with Texas passing some of the most sweeping anti-abortion laws in the country, Trust Women Wichita is busier than ever. I'm Gustavo Ariano. You're listening to The Times, daily news from the LA Times. It's Friday, October 1st, 2021. Today, LA Times Houston bureau chief Molly Hennessy Fisk takes us to this abortion clinic. She talks to people who came from far away to get an abortion, to staffers who feel their work is more important than ever, and also to anti-abortion activists. They're counting on even more restrictive laws to effectively shut down Trust Women Wichita as well. Texas Governor Greg Abbott signed a law that bans abortions as early as six weeks. This is similar to bans in other states that would take effect before many women even know they are pregnant. If allowed to remain in force, the law would be the most dramatic restriction on abortion rights in the U.S. since the high court's landmark Roe v. Wade decision legalized abortion across the country in 1973. This extreme Texas law blatantly violates the constitutional right established under Roe v. Wade and upheld as precedent for nearly half a century. We are thrilled. We are celebrating this historic day for the pro-life movement, the first heartbeat law that's actually been able to be enforced in the United States. And so we're really excited about that and excited about the thousands of preborn lives that are going to be saved as a result of this law. On September 1st, a Texas law went into effect that banned abortions after six weeks of pregnancy. It's the latest salvo by conservative politicians who have been trying to chip away at Roe versus Wade for decades. As a result, people in Texas who seek abortions now must travel to other states. One of the closest clinics for them is Trust Women Wichita. That's where Molly Hennessy Fisk spent a couple of days to talk to everyone affected. Molly, welcome to The Times. Thanks for having me. Remind us about this Texas abortion law, its intent, its effect, its importance. So there's actually two laws. The first one, SB 8, effectively bans abortion at six weeks, which is usually before most women even know that they're pregnant. And it bans not just surgical abortion, but also medication abortion. And then the second law, which took effect after that, also restricts the distribution of medication abortion by mail or by suppliers outside of the state. So it's a way of cracking down on pretty much uh, the majority of abortions within the state of Texas. So the new Texas law, SB 8, is known as the heartbeat law. Advocates of the law say that at six weeks, you can detect cardiac activity in the fetus. But opponents of the law say they don't like it being characterized as a heartbeat law. There's some women who come in right at the, the boundary of six weeks and they have no cardiac activity. And then because of other laws that require a waiting period before they have an abortion, they have to come in the next day to actually have the procedure. And by then, they've detected the activity and they can't have it. And that law... It's not the only one of its kind in the region. 
That's true. Most of the so-called heartbeat laws have been stopped before they took effect by the courts. And a lot of people thought that was going to happen in Texas, even proponents of the law. There's another heartbeat law that's set to take effect in Oklahoma November 1st that would um, force women to drive even further to get abortions. And this clinic also was the home base for George Tiller, who was an abortion doctor who was assassinated by an extremist back in 2009. That's right. Um, during that summer, there was a lot of anti-abortion uh, protests that were going on in Wichita and in other cities. Uh, Tiller was killed, and there's still a portrait of him at the entrance to the clinic right next to the metal detector and the seat where the guard sits. They added uh, a lot of security, security cameras um, and protocols after that. Both Dr. Tiller and his family continually asked the question, if Dr. Tiller is not here to serve a woman's right to choose, who will be here to do it? Everyone's life should be protected, uh, whether they're born or unborn, whether they agree with us or not. This was something that should not have happened. Thank you, Dr. Tiller, for allowing me to have a choice with my reproductive health. George Tiller was a mass murderer. We must not flinch in continuing to refer to him as he was. Our grief for him is that he didn't have a chance to make his soul right with God before he faced God. State lawmakers have been trying to crack down on legal abortion and on this clinic in particular for years, but it's managed to stay open and it has helped women during past shutdowns in Texas and Oklahoma. Last year during the pandemic, the governors of Oklahoma and Texas suspended all abortions. They called them elective procedures during the pandemic. And back in 2016, there were also a lot of clinics that were closed at least temporarily in Texas because of state laws that passed and many women went up to the Wichita Clinic. And if the heartbeat law that's set to take effect in November happens in, in Oklahoma and isn't stopped by the courts, then even more women will end up at that clinic. So given this history and with abortions becoming so hard to get, how did Trust Women Wichita become known as a place to go? Partly, there's networks that have been set up online where after this law passed and when other laws have passed, women go online and they're looking for places to go and either clinics within the state of Texas will refer them or they'll just start calling around. And part of the problem is that they have a timeline. You can only get a medication abortion up to a certain point in your pregnancy. And then in many states, they limit how far into a pregnancy you can have a surgical abortion. Only certain states do so-called late-term abortions. And so even the Trust Women Clinic doesn't do some of those. Some of, of those women have to get referred to other states like New Mexico and Colorado, and then women have to travel even further. The law came into effect on September 1st, but it was actually signed in the spring. So in all that time, what was the clinic staff doing to prepare for this? So while I was at the clinic in Wichita, I talked to Ashley Brink, who's the new clinic director, and she talked to me about how they had been preparing not just for the Texas law to take effect, but also laws in other states and, and potential rulings by the Supreme Court that could restrict abortion. So um, even in the weeks kind of uh, leading up to the SB8 going into effect, we were preparing both the staff and kind of patients for this change. 
So they did a lot to prepare. They hired added staff. They brought in extra equipment. We started communications with the Texas abortion funds and practical support organizations. Uh, we were meeting within like regional coalitions to discuss how we could better support those who were going to need to travel. They're doing a renovation to expand even further. And they're also looking ahead. Uh, they had assumed that this law would take a factor, that there would be some impact of it in addition to the Oklahoma law that's about to take effect. But then also the Supreme Court is set to consider a case out of Mississippi that could potentially overturn Roe v. Wade. And if it does, then a bunch of laws in some states called trigger laws would take effect that would basically outlaw abortion. And so that would send even more women to this clinic and others in states that don't have trigger laws. I know we saw um, a patient from Louisiana, we saw a patient from Arkansas. So, I mean, it's, it's not, you know, just Texas that's being impacted. It's, it's people in, on several parts of the country that we're now seeing come to see us in Kansas. So. so when I talked to Ashley Brink and other clinic workers there in Wichita, they said this work is really personal for them. I noticed that Ashley was wearing a couple of necklaces that said abortion on them, and I asked her about that. And she said she wears it not just when she's at the clinic, but when she's out in the community, that she's very abortion positive, that she talks about it, and she feels that women shouldn't be apologetic about having abortions, that it should be talked about and treated uh, like any other medical procedure. You know, part of why I wear my necklaces, part of why I, you know, have these signs in my office, and I I'm very open about abortion is that it, it is normal. Um, I hope that it either you know, generates conversations with people that I'm with when I'm out, and I hope that it makes people maybe think a little bit more about it and maybe see that I am a person that they can talk to. When I was talking to the clinic staff there in Wichita, part of what they're dealing with is they're fielding these calls from women who are increasingly desperate. And some of the staff themselves had abortions in the past, and they told me that it's really hard for them, both trying to help these women, some of whom are running out of time and, and money to try to get abortions. It's partly hard because of how desperate the women are, but also because they think of themselves and they think how much easier it was for them years ago when they uh, went to try to have this done. Um, and then these women now are facing so many added hurdles. I have like goosebumps, you know, thinking about it and talking about it. Um, doing this work is, is so rewarding, but it's also just like full of emotional. Um, it's an emotional roller coaster, and like, you know, all the staff here, the same kind of thing as we get those Texas patients who are calling and they're, you know, a phone call that might take five to 10 minutes is taking 15 or 20 minutes because, you know, we've got patients that are so upset and they're like, is there anywhere else I can go? You're the closest that came up and you're nine hours away. Um, so it's, there's an emotional toll on not just the patients, um, but the staff that are hearing these stories. We'll be back after this break. Molly, what were some of the stories that you heard from people who went to the clinic to get an abortion? 
So I waited at the clinic while women were getting treated and they gave them the option to speak with me. And some of them didn't want to be recorded or they wanted to just communicate via email, not in person. But there was one woman who was willing to talk to me, Megan, who had traveled from Texas to have an abortion. And she told me a little bit about her experience. The last time I went to a clinic in Dallas, it it seems like, I don't know if it's like a Christian-based thing or something, but it's like, there's a lot of negative, a lot of um, shaming to it, but also that was in Texas, and it's a, it's a, I guess the Bible Belt of it all. <laughs> it's it's very pressured, but so far it seems pretty laid back here. Uh, even the conversation I had for my consultation to get the appointment, it was it was enjoyable. I, I had a great time talking with the staff. So when I talked to Megan, she told me a little bit about her history, that she had had several miscarriages in the past, that she has a lot of complications when she gets pregnant, but also that she had had an abortion years ago in Texas, and it was a really negative experience for her. So she actually found out that she was pregnant this time on the day that the new law took effect. And so immediately she started trying to figure out what her options were going to be because she knew it was going to be not just as as hard as it was before, but even more difficult. You know, are you going to be reported? You don't don't know what their, their steps that they're taking right now are. It's still a new law. You don't know what all they're capable or what they're being told to do. Is it like cops having to meet a quota? Do they have to turn in so many names? You don't know what they're having to do in order to keep their clinics running and open, what their compliances are having to be. Megan told me her experience this time in getting an abortion was very different, not just at the clinic, which she felt was a lot more positive and supportive, uh, the environment that she found there, but also um, the man who she described as a friend had been very involved in the process. He'd been supportive as well. He paid for the procedure. He paid for the travel. He drove her. He arranged for the hotel that they had to stay at because there's a waiting period, so they had to stay overnight. She said the whole thing was completely different, but it also made her understand and sensitive to what other women go through because she said if she She hadn't had that support, both of the clinic and of the man involved. She wasn't sure how she would have done it because she was in uh, a lot of financial straits. She's a bartender. She had to get a new car recently. She had to move and take care of a sick dog. So she really didn't have the spare money to be paying for the procedure, uh, let alone all the travel involved. You know, you're you're already struggling to take care of yourself. I've come a long way from from that time in my life, but... I just, I feel bad for the people that are there and having to deal with this. It just doesn't seem fair. What did Megan tell you about her previous times that she had an abortion? So for her first abortion, Megan said it was a really emotional experience, not just deciding to go through with it, but also because her boyfriend at the time, his family was pressuring her and and making her feel guilty about doing it. The guy that I lived with, it was supposed to be my boyfriend, didn't believe it was his. <laughs> I was like, okay. His family were attacking me via text and coming to my job and harassing me about it, saying he's making to make a decision he didn't want to make. It was, it was just a, a lot. And I was like, do I really want to be a part of this for 18 years? <laughs> and I did not. So I made the decision based off my emotional needs at the time. And it was hard. 
because I did want a kid then. Just, he wasn't the one I needed it with. So for Megan, getting an abortion amidst this whole political battle that was going on, not just in Texas, but across the country, was really a fraught experience. I mean, she found out the day that the law took effect and it was all over the news in Texas. And she told me she just had to turn the news off and she couldn't listen to it because on top of trying to make the decision and then decide how she was going to go about getting an abortion out of state. Um, She'd never traveled to Kansas before. She didn't know how she was going to make that happen. Um, She also has really bad morning sickness, anemia from being pregnant. So it was just really overwhelming for her. It just seems like beating a dead horse, like you're you're punishing somebody. Like, it doesn't need to be punished. It just doesn't seem fair. Molly, while you were there, there were also anti-abortion activists there. What were they telling you? The anti-abortion activists who I talked to outside of the Wichita Clinic said they were really encouraged by the Texas heartbeat law passing and the fact that Oklahoma's law was going to take effect and that they hoped more laws would be able to take effect in surrounding states. Like Laura said, I think it's a step. Anything that gets closer to making abortion not an option is good. They said that they had approached, you know, various women as they were going in. They hadn't gotten very much response from them, but they were out there right at the entrance to the clinic trying to intervene and get some of the Texas women to change their minds. They said they knew that the law was about to take effect and they had been alerted that there would be more women coming to the clinic and they hoped to intervene and redirect them to a center that's located right next door to the clinic, like a pregnancy assistance center for women who reconsider having abortions. My sister and I have just been here since one. We do one to three on Thursdays, and um, I haven't got to talk to anybody today. I think we only had, since I've been here, one person took literature. So some days it's like that. Some days a lot more people take literature and turn around, but not since I've been here today. Even though Trust Women Wichita has become a haven of sorts for people looking to get an abortion, its days might also be numbered as well in Kansas. They're going to have an election on the issue. Yes, in Kansas, anti-abortion activists and and opponents in the legislature got a measure put on the ballot that would restrict abortions statewide uh, in the next election in 2022. But uh, even before that, there's going to be the Supreme Court decisions, and that could have an impact in, in Kansas as well. And the people at Trust Women Wichita, do they understand that? And does that make their resolve to offer abortions even that much more so? Yes, they said, you know, they've been through similar uh, time periods before when there were laws pending in the state or laws that passed and were stayed by the courts. So the real issue for them, they said, is the uncertainty, is not knowing what other states are going to do, what Kansas is going to do, what new measures could get proposed. The executive actions that were taken by the governors last year during the pandemic were pretty sudden. And so things like that can come up. So they're just trying to get ready, get all the supplies and staff they need and see what they can do to try to stay open, not only in Wichita, but they have another clinic in Oklahoma City as well. And Megan, the woman who got an abortion at Trust Woman Wichita, 
With all that has been going on politically, I'm curious why she agreed to talk to you. Well, she feels pretty strongly about it. And and so did women I've talked to in the past when I went up to the clinic last year during the pandemic. And, and back in 2016, I actually talked to more women than there were more women who were willing to talk. And um, what happens is when I'm at the clinic, they have me sit in a back break room and the women are out in the waiting room. And Megan was out there and she saw how many women were there. And so when she came in to talk to me, she was saying she was sorry that more of the women she had seen out in the waiting room didn't come in and talk to me. She thought it was partly because of the shame surrounding the procedure that she felt was unnecessary. And that was part of the reason she felt strongly about speaking out. I'm sorry not more people want to talk to you. I don't see why they should be scared. They should tell their story. And then more people can understand they're not going through it by themselves. Because it's normal. This is life. Life is messy. You know, so. This is how we deal with life. We make decisions. We stand by our decisions, you know, like, I just wish more people were confident about themselves and not, not felt like the stigma of it all. Molly, thank you so much for this interview. Thanks for having me. And that's it for this episode of The Times, daily news from the LA Times. Next week, a historic surge in murders has Milwaukee reeling. Our show is produced by Shannon Lynn, Denise Guerra, Ashley Brown, Melissa Kaplan, and Marina Peña. Our engineer is Mario Diaz. Our editors are Shawnee Hilton and Lauren Rabb, and our theme music is by Andrew Epen. Like what you're listening to? Then make sure to follow The Times on whatever platform you use. I'm Gustavo Arellano. We'll be back with all the news in Desmadre. Gracias. Gracias.